You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. We're going to continue this series, The Kingdom is Near. Mark chapter 1, you can turn there if you have your Bibles. Mark chapter 1. We're concentrating a lot on the beginning of Mark as we introduce this theme of the kingdom because right at the outset of Jesus' ministry, there's this banner over his public ministry, which, which is this, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. So Jesus repeats time and time again. So we're exploring that theme, and we're doing it specifically through the gospel of Mark. We're not gonna go verse by verse through the entire gospel of Mark. We're gonna fly over, over a period of seven weeks, the Gospel of Mark, but we're concentrating a lot at the beginning of Mark because, because this is so much about the introduction of his ministry and that theme specifically, the kingdom of God is near, what that means. What does it mean? The kingdom of God is near. Pastor Tony last week talked about how the kingdom of God is near definitely means that he is near in the ordinary stuff of life, both as ordinary people, but then in the, the ordinary comings and goings of life, and God encounter, encounters us in those places so this morning, I want to clear something up that's often misunderstood about Christianity. So many times people think about Christianity in terms of uh, correct doctrine, cor- correct combination of words to uh, prove, to demonstrate to those around you that you, you believe the right thing. Often other times, people think of Christianity in terms of outward actions only, kind of religious activity, what things you participate in. But I want to cut through all of that. There's misunderstandings that maybe you think it's, it's about words, combinations of words, mental assent, or you think of, think of it solely as just actions and religious busyness as something that, that grounds all of it. And it's central to the king, kingdom of God and its intimacy with God, its relationship with God. The kingdom of God is near because God desires relationship with you. And it's only through the lens of intimacy with God that words come to life with authority and power, and actions come to life compelled from a place of love. So it's intimacy with God. And it's only in that place will will we really understand what what all that is about. Otherwise, you're going to fall into hypocrisy and legalism, and you're going to actually, you're going to fall into a slavery of religion that's dead in and of itself. But when you encounter God in intimacy, which is the kingdom of God coming near, it means God's not far off. He doesn't want to stay far off. Instead, he wants to come so close that he wants to be intimate with you. He wants to be a friend with you. It may sound offensive to you. The holy God of the universe wanting to be so near that he wants to be a friend of you. But that's the radical, extravagant kingdom of God that Jesus introduced, introduced us to. That there can be a holy God, a wrathful, just God, and Jesus' extravagant love bridged that gap between people that were enemies of him. And actually then he invites us into friendship with himself. It's extravagant. And it's from that place that there is a switch that, go, that's a switch that goes off in a person's life and changes everything about them. That's when faith begins to invade your Monday morning. That's when faith begins to invade your marriage and and the way you lead your kids and your workplace. That's the life that God's calling us all into. It's intimacy with God. 
to that point where you don't care about what people think anymore. You'll say anything compelled from the place of love. You'll do anything. You'll risk anything in the name of intimate love with God. I remember right after I got engaged, me and my wife have been married for 12 years, but there's something about first love, you know, that just kind of <laughs> makes you do crazy things. <laughs> we were high school sweethearts and dated through college, but I remember the night we got engaged and I had this extravagant plan to, to propose to her and I proposed to her and she did say yes. I remember after that magical night of, of romance, coming, coming back to our apartment, my, I was at the time living with my two brothers, my, my younger brother who'll be here, here next weekend and my older brother Tony. And I bursted in the door and just like Buddy the Elf from the movie Elf, I said, I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. <laughs> because that's what love does to you. Love just like causes you to throw off all inhib inhibitions. Like that is your one focus is that, that love relationship. And in a greater degree, it's what God wants to do upon your, uh, wants to bring upon your life is, is bring you into a lifestyle of wholehearted submission to him. You'll say anything and you'll do anything in the name of love. That is the kingdom of God coming near in intimate relationship. So let's look at Mark chapter one. We see this in the life of Jesus. He comes to demonstrate this to us, this intimate relationship that he walks, walks in with the Father, obviously um, perfectly every single day. This is what it says in verse 21, Mark chapter one. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You see, there's something different about his, his speech. There was a lot of talking heads in his day. Every generation has had lots of talkers. And, they, and Jesus' generation was the same, a lot of teachers. But Jesus' words stood apart. And I'm gonna show you this morning that the language of people that are intimate with God, they're, they're, their words stand apart. There's something different about it. They're not just, it's not just more noise. And immediately there was in, in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all surrounding region of Galilee. We'll keep going. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately, immediately they told him about her. And they came, and they took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We'll continue, verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they, they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, 
Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in a desolate place or was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So this is the introduction that we get to Jesus' ministry from the lens of Mark. John Mark, who many scholars believe that John Mark got most of his uh, narrative of the actual witness accounts from Peter. But this is how he introduces us to what the kingdom of God is really all about. It's, an, it's a teaching and a ministry and a demonstration of power that's unlike anything they had seen before. And I would say the reason that is is because the basis of it was intimacy with the Father. Jesus said that he would say only what he heard the Father saying. He would do only what he saw the Father doing. It was perfect intimacy with the Father. And Jesus calls you and I into a kingdom. He introduces us to a kingdom. And he invites us to live as sons and daughters of the King. And it's from that place of intimacy that our words and our actions are impacted. So you can't get the cart before the horse. And that's where a lot of people get mixed up with Christianity. They end up thinking of Christianity in terms of words and actions. Oh, if I can say the right things, then I can convince everybody around me. If I can do the right things, if I can fill my life with enough religious activity, then maybe I can fake it until I make it. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is encountering the God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ, being brought into real relationship. It's a real encounter. And if that's foreign to you, if that's something you've never experienced for yourself, where it's personal and it's real, I encourage you to cast off all restraint, anything holding you back, any, any doubt, any questions lingering, and press in until you yourself have encountered, encountered him personally. Christianity isn't about a bland articulation of doctrine. It's not about a blind statement of faith. It's about an encounter with those beliefs that are conveyed out of conviction. And so we see that there was something about Jesus, the way he talked. And I don't believe it was the, the volume of his voice. I don't believe he needed to be a shouter to convince people of his authority. There was a weightiness and a meatiness to his words because he was walking in intimacy with the Father that pierced through everything and pierced to people's hearts. And Christianity isn't about actions without relationships. It's not about busying ourselves with religious activities to impress God. It's about a relationship with God that impacts every aspect of our life and then begins to impact our actions. And it's from that place that you no longer have a paradigm or an excuse for why your faith wouldn't impact your Tuesday or your Wednesday or your Thursday because he's a living God that actually you are walking in friendship with. So of course he'd be concerned and he had something to say about your day-to-day -day comings and goings because you're walking with him every single day. So first I want to address the language of the kingdom. And the language of the kingdom is love relationship. Jesus was fully submitted to the Father and as he stepped, as he went from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, he said, this is why I came, to do my father's business, to, to articulate what the kingdom of God is like. And in that, he was fully submitted, his tongue was fully submitted to what the father was doing. And so it was out of place of real relationship, out of love relationship. 
In a couple of weeks, we'll talk more about parables because parables were one of the, like the primary conduits through which Jesus described the kingdom. And what's so profound about parables is that they, they speak to people in all sorts of different walks of life, but only the humble and the contrite understand them. So the, the pride-filled, like religious, you know, uh, aristocrats, they, they'll never understand parables. There's a simplicity to them that pierces to the most intimate places of our heart. Well, so we'll talk more about parables in the weeks to come. But there's a language of the kingdom that transcends all generations, all demog- demographics, parties or factions, the religious, the irreligious, the young and the old. So in chapter 1, verse 22 says they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. They said he taught with authority. His words pierced to their hearts because he's talking with the Father all the time. He had this intimate connection with the God of the universe, the sovereign, one who leads everything who knit everything together. He had authority because he was in tune with the Father. So these aren't just academic words or intellectual words. I'm not saying that in Christianity, intellectualism um, has no place. No, I would actually say that some, it's from the place of intellectual pursuit that they have a real encounter with God. There's others that it's birthed out of a, a raw experience with the Holy Spirit But regardless of your personality type or the way God's wired you, I I encourage every single person to press in and have an encounter for themselves in a personal way with the king of the universe. So there's a difference between words and words marked by true experience. Just words. And, you know, every religion including Judaism of Jesus' day, including Christianity of our day, has a lot of leaders saying a lot of words, producing a lot of content, all the more in our day. A lot of talking heads. But through it all, the ones that really move the kingdom forward are the voices that are connected to the Father in intimacy. There's actually an experience behind the theology So there is a difference between dead religion and the life of the kingdom. And so I encourage you to press in for yourself and have a true encounter and love relationship with Jesus Christ. Lately, I've been telling my kids about a trip that we're going to be taking this winter to the beaches of Florida. So my kids have never, they've never been to the Atlantic coast or either of the coasts. They've been to the Gulf, but never, never the Atlantic or the Pacific coast. And so they've never experienced the power of the, of the ocean waves on the beach. And so I've, I've told them stories. I love to travel, and so I, I love to go to the beach. Me and my wife kind of have a little bit of a disagreement right now. She wants to go to the Gulf. I want to go to the beach and experience the power of the waves. I've told them about that. I've told them about the riptides and the, the, um, just the, the kind of the ominous power of the oceans. But I do that in my living room in Iowa, and that only goes so far with a child. 
It's not until they step themselves, they step their toe into the waters and they get, they get rushed to the beach by the power of the waves that they experience what I'm talking about. And so often what happens in Christianity is one generation talks a lot to the younger generation and they tell them about this God of love and this, this, this God that changed their lives, but they're never invited themselves into an experience. And that's where we, the, the baton gets dropped. We have to invite the younger generation. We, and that's why as a church, we invite every single person themselves to dip their toe into the love of God and allow the wave of God's love to wash over them. It's the power of God to draw us actually into real love relationship with the Father. That's the language of the kingdom. It's love relationship. So let's, since we're going to talk more about parables in the weeks to come, let's talk a little bit more about actions. So words are compelled from a place of love relationship. Well, actions in the kingdom are compelled by love as well. This isn't just religious activity. It's not to impress God or impress others. It's a, it's a way of life that comes out of real relationship. And in, this, in these accounts that Mark gives us a glimpse of in the ministry of Jesus, there's several actions that I, that I want to focus on that come out of the place of intimacy. And first is this, it's prayer. Prayer is action in the kingdom. Prayer is not passive. For, for Jesus, this was just pure necessity of getting away into desolate places, getting away by himself to connect with the Father. Prayer is the place of forward momentum in the kingdom. And for Jesus, prayer was the, the first resort, not the last resort. For him, it was the first place of action. And too often in the Christian life, especially the Western church, we, we treat prayer like an afterthought. This is the way it usually works. We usually come up with our plans because in the West, we love our strategies and our plans and we love to be organized. And we come up with our plans and at the end, we are like, oh yeah, we forgot to pray. Let's, let's pray that God will bless this. <laughs> what would happen if the church flipped that on ahead and we began to pray first? Like prayer was our first line of action. Like we say, we want to get out in front, God. We want to be on the front lines of what you're doing. We want to actually see forward momentum in our community, in our neighborhood, in our city. So we're going to be people of prayer first. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was talking with Pastor Tony and a few of the other staff. It just began brewing in my heart, especially as students began to flood back to our city, the necessity for us to reprioritize prayer as a church. So that's why September 7th through 11th, we're calling this week of prayer and fasting. Ever since I became pastor, we've done the week of prayer, the first week, uh, in ja first full week in January of every year. But 2020 is just a weird year, so let's keep it, let's keep it going, and we're going to do things differently. We're also going to call a week of prayer in September, because we just feel like the time is now. Like we, we, can't, be, we can't be caught sitting back right now. There's, there's too much brewing for the church to be idly, passively sitting back. We need to push forward, and prayer is action in the kingdom. Prayer is where we actually hear from God. Prayer is where we shut out the noise to just connect with our Father, to hear what King Jesus wants us to do in a moment. 
So specifically, one thing that we're pairing with this call to prayer is a media fast. And I know fasting is often pretty foreign to us uh, Western Christians, but we see fasting throughout the New Testament, obviously it was in the life of Jesus, but then also in the, in the life of early believers in the New Testament. And I believe it's, it's, a, it's a discipline that reprioritizes hunger for God first and foremost. But I feel like right now, there is just such a volume of noise that we're having a hard, the church is having a hard time discerning what's going on. So much confusion, so much waffling, so much fear. And so we're, we're boldly calling people to turn it all off, not forever because the church can't be, we can't be hermits. We can't completely disconnect from the world. He hasn't called us to, to start our own little commune on, on our own little plantation somewhere. No, God has called us though for seasons, just like Jesus. He went to desolate places. He's calling us to turn, turn it off just for five days, September 7th through the 11th. Let's turn off social media, like turn off our TVs, turn it all off for five days. I recently did this and there was just like a mag magnification of the voice of God over my life as I did that simple discipline of turning it off for a little while. So I know it's bold. I know not everyone will go there with us, but I'm just, I'm just challenging you in that. There won't be judgment in it. There's not going to be any tests. If someone posts something on social media, we're not going to call you out or anything. It's, it's truly meant to be life-giving. And so for you you, you, you receive that invitation as something life-giving for you. I'd encourage you to be a part of that week of both prayer and fasting. But there, there will be a magnification of the, the sound of heaven over our life rather than the sound of this world. I mean, just imagine with me, what if the church heard the promises of Jesus more clearly than the doomsday promises of this world? God is saying, have faith. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It'll be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours. That's a promise. What if we began to hear that resounding in our hearts more than the sound of this world? Ian Bounds said that only God can move mountains, but faith and prayer move God. Leonard Ravenhill said that, can any deny that in the modern church set up, the main cause of anxiety is money. Yet that which tries the modern church the most troubled the New Testament church the least. Our accent is on paying. Theirs was on praying. When, when we have paid, the place is taken. When they, they had prayed, the place was shaken. That's Leonard Ravenhill. A second action in Jesus' life that we see stemming out of intimacy with God was compassion. When Jesus comes to that leper, and the leper genuinely says, there's something different, there's something different about this, this man, this teacher, this rabbi. I don't know if he's willing to actually extend mercy to me and heal me. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And it says, Jesus was moved with pity. He was moved with compassion. I want to talk about that action of compassion. Compassion that moves us as a church. He said, I will be clean. He commands the leper to be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. A compassion that compels us to outward action, actual impact in our community, coming from the place of intimacy. 
not a compassion that's secularly uh, motivated to make ourselves uh, look, look better to the world around us, but a, a compassion from the heart of God for people because you see the value in that person as the Father sees them. That's compassion born out of intimacy with God. That's when James chapter two makes sense. That if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the, thing, the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, by, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. There's a compassion that begins to rise up in our hearts for those in need around us, born out of the place of intimacy. A true faith that results in outward action and outward compassion. There's a fascinating book written back in 2007 by two secular uh, professors from the University of Southern California. And, and the premise of the book was an exploration of the impact of the Pentecostal church on the most vulnerable places in this world. Originally, they actually just wanted to explore the Christian church's response to the social needs around the world. But as they began to do a survey of the of the, the work that the church, Big C, was doing around the globe, they continued to come back to the work of the Pentecostal church, meaning those that believe in the work of the Holy Spirit on the earth today. And there was something profound about that book. The title of the book is called Global Pentecostalism. This was written now 13 years ago. But here, two secular professors come to this glaring realization of Pentecostal power resulting in outward action and outward compassion. These organizations and these churches are doing radical, sacrificial works across the globe to feed the hungry, to bring in the downtrodden, the broken, the addicted, to bring in the outcasts, being the hands and feet of Jesus across the globe. It's compassion, it's faith in action. And for Jesus, oftentimes this also meant compassion for the sick. And Jesus' compassion resulted in the action of actually healing them, being a conduit of healing, which is an expression of the kingdom of heaven. Sickness isn't from God, and nowhere in the Gospels will you see that sickness is from God. So, case is closed. You know God's heart in, re in relation to sickness. It's of the enemy. And so there should be a compassion that, that wells up in our hearts, like in our gut, to pray for the sick, to command the sick to be healed. And so I would say all the more in this COVID age, we need to lead. We, need, we don't need to follow. We need to lead. The church needs to lead. We need to get out in front. We need to begin serving our city. This means that we stop changing our theology based on our experiences. What does the word, God, what does the word of God tell us about the cross? It's by his stripes that we are healed. That Jesus went about doing, doing uh, these good works and healing the sick. That is the way of the kingdom. For Jesus, healing the sick was not a sideshow. It was a demonstration of what the kingdom of God was like. And he said, the kingdom of God is, is near. Hey, be healed. Be made well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. The last action that we see in Jesus' 
life flowing out of intimacy with God is faith, faith-filled action. You know, famously, the, the Apostle James, he tells us that faith without works is dead. And I would say in our generation, we need to say that very loudly. There's, there's too many professing believers right now ravaged by fear, not allowing their faith to intersect their actual life and their way of, of life day to day. So they can say they believe one thing, but their actions demonstrate something different. There is a life that we can live out of intimacy with God for the purposes of God. I have a conviction to live my life walking in faith. And I would just say, yeah, this isn't talked about probably enough in our day and age today. Living lives of faith. What does your faith mean for the mountains that you're facing? What does your faith mean for the the trials that you're facing in your marriage as you lead your kids in your workplace? What does the Father have to say about it? What is the truth spoken over that situation? Not just your opinion. What is the enemy saying? What is God saying? What's the Father saying over those situations? And when you begin to live life in in response to what the Father is saying, that is faith-filled action, born out of intimacy with the Father. I believe the church needs to take a stand. We need to choose to trust God with our lives. So my prayer this morning is very simple, is that every person would have an opportunity to start a relationship with God. If you'd all stand in this place. My prayer in this season is that as we talk about the kingdom of God coming near, is that you would experience a gospel of both word and power, a gospel that impacts the way you talk and also the way you live. And it comes out of a place of intimacy with God, intimacy with the Father. I remember a conversation I had several, several years ago as I was driving. I was talking with God and God asked me a question. He said, Drew, is it okay if the greatest significance of your life is intimacy with me and loving your family well? And I remember I was in my 20s and you have all this like ambition in your heart and all these grand aspirations. You want your life to count. And that question cut to my heart. Am I okay with that? Am I okay with the greatest significance out of my life being intimacy with my father and loving my family well? You know, my little domain, my little circle of influence, loving them extravagantly. Am I okay with that? And I said yes, but ever since then, the Lord's had me on such a journey of opening my eyes to understand the significance of my yes in that moment. Because out of intimacy flows all great accomplishments. All great breakthroughs in this world come out of the place of intimacy with God. And so oftentimes we get it mixed around. Like, use my life. I want my life to count. And really it's more about personal ambitions. I want each and every person in this place to have an opportunity to have intimacy with God. If you'd close your eyes, bow bow your heads in this place. I want you to respond to God. I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise their hands or respond to me. I want you to respond to the Father. I'm talking about intimacy with God. Jesus described what he came to accomplish in John chapter 17, verse 3. He said, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. 
That's what defines it all. That's what eternity is all about, is knowing God intimately. So I believe there's some in this place that they've just never really got that. They've never walked with God in real friendship and real relationship. And this morning can be your morning. This morning can be the moment when you respond to God in true heart relationship. You're not performing. You're not responding to me. You're responding to your father. So if that's you in this place, would you respond to him? Again, I'm not going to ask for a hand to be raised because you're not responding to me. You're responding to him. Would you confess that to him right now? You want personal friendship with him through the work of Jesus Christ. This is what he came to do. You look to him as savior. He washes you clean. And he invites you into a kingdom of which you are a child of God. Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You start friendship with the Father. Friendship with God. Lord, you're calling us as a church to something beyond our imaginations. I believe first you're recentering us on this, this starting place of intimacy with God. Jesus showed us how to live, and it wasn't about methods or procedures. It was about, first and foremost, abiding in the Father, intimacy with God. It's from that place that we say what the Father's saying, we do what the Father's doing. And I pray all across this place for the grace of God to wash over individuals, those that have been beaten down by dead religion, by legalism, those that have misunderstood Christianity, to think of it as a, um, just a simple cleansing of their conscience. Lord, this morning, by the grace of God, by the love of Jesus, flood through that, pierce through all that. That individuals would have a real, a real encounter with their Father this morning. I pray in your mighty name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.